Anyone been to Washington, D.C.? Anyone know what Washington, D.C. is famous for? White House and? And? It's famous for monuments. If um, I can get you on to get on board. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All right, there, there are over 160 monuments there. Um, there's the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, Martin Luther King Memorial, Jefferson Memorial. They have monuments honoring presidents. They have monuments remembering wars. They have monuments recognizing veterans, those that have died fighting for the nation. They've got monuments for great people, for different cultures. There are monuments and monuments and monuments, and you can go on any number of monument tours if you ever go to Washington, D.C., and uh, we like to honour great people. Uh, I grew up in Auckland, and so one of the highlights for us as a family was going to the Auckland War Memorial Museum, which is probably our largest monument, and uh, just seeing everything that was going on there. We have the Queen's Birthday Honours System, and I've got a cousin, first cousin, who is the, who's got the Order of New Zealand, so he is... Sir Vaughan Jones, one of only um, 45 living people in New Zealand who uh, have that particular title. And so we honour people who are great, who have done great things, or have done something which is deemed to be honourable. But the interesting thing is we only honour upwards and while that seems to be good, it's not actually biblical. Because as we're going to see later, the Bible teaches that we should be honoring everybody. So today I want to speak to you about developing a culture of honor in our life. So when I was researching this, I went into my Greek dictionary and found out that the word that we use to translate it as honor uh, in the Greek is the word time. Okay? And it means to honor, to glory, to promote, to elevate someone's status, to take someone from one level to another, to give prestige, respect, and admiration. And it's closely linked to blessing and glory. It's interesting, the relationships that we are forming in the body of Christ not only have eternal consequences, but they're supposed to last for eternity. You turn to the person next to you and say, we're going to know each other for eternity. Some of you, for some of you, that might be a scary thought. Man. I just thought, I wonder if there's any sleep in heaven. Probably isn't, eh? Hey, wife, I'm going to be cured of snoring. Just imagine an eternity of someone snoring. Oh... Because our relationships are going to last for eternity, uh, we 
need to know what heaven's culture is like. And so we were singing a song, and we often pray as well, God, let your kingdom come, and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the reality is that uh, often we don't, we don't know what God's kingdom is like. We don't know what God's culture is like. Um, what are the values? What are, what's the outworking of that? And so we need to recognize and <clears throat> we need to ask and look as to how we should act in the culture of heaven. You see, a culture of honor is going to affect the way we think, the way we speak, and the way we act. But because we've been immersed for so long in the culture of this world, sometimes we don't even recognize dishonorable habits and traits in our lives. Uh, it was interesting, I was uh, reading about former test, uh, Australian test captain Ian Chappell after the first South African Australia cricket test, which uh, just finished last week. And um, Chappell was talking about a rising South African fast bowler, young guy, Rabada, who skittled the Aussies in, in their second innings, uh, snared a five-wicket haul and got the win for South Africa. And Chappell was full of praise for this talented 21-year-old. And uh, fellow commentator Ian he Healy uh, asked uh, Chappell how Rabada could have developed such speed in his bowling at such a young age. And Chappell unthinkingly said, well, you'd have to ask all the batsmen in his village. And that comment absolutely went down like a lead balloon in South Africa because basically what Chappell unrealising was was saying, he was voicing his thought that, that dark South Africans must have been brought up in a tribal village. And so it was quite demeaning. And uh, he didn't actually realise it. He'd been praising this guy, and then this came out. It's interesting that the, the, young, the young man in question uh, grew up in Johann Johannesburg, where he attended a prestigious boys' college, his father's a neurosurgeon, so it's quite, <laughs> quite the opposite um, picture or background to what uh, Chapel had envisaged him. But I thought, well, that's just a really, really good illustration of sometimes our mindsets and the way we think and the culture that we live in is quite different at times to the culture of God's kingdom and how God wants us to think. You see, the culture of heaven is about honor. Revelation 5 verse 13 says, Blessing and honor, glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever. Uh, it's interesting that we hear a lot about glory and power, um, but note the order. Blessing and honor. Then comes glory and and power. And if you want to experience God's glory and power, you need to practice blessing and honor. <clears throat> In fact, Terry Bone says, blessing and honor are first cousins. Give one and you get the other. In other words, when you bless someone, they will honor you. 
When you honor someone, they will bless you. Giving and receiving honor is closely connected to how much blessing is going to flow in our lives. You know, Satan's original rebellion was an act of dishonor. He wouldn't acknowledge God's sovereign place, wouldn't honor God, and as a result, he was cast out of heaven. The opposite of honor is dishonor, which means to treat as common, ordinary, disrespect of no value. When you look through the Word of God, it's interesting that Jesus began his adult life and ministry by being honored by his Father. You remember those verses in Mark chapter um, 1 where it talks about Jesus' baptism? It says that at that time Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee was baptized by John and Jordan. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son whom I love, and you, with you I am well pleased. So right at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, he sees the endorsement, the blessing, the honor coming from his Father. And we see the heavens open, followed by the dove, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, just resting on him. In the culture of God's kingdom, there's a connection between honor and an open heaven and the power and the provision of God. In Isaiah chapter 3, uh, we see that because Jerusalem was not honoring God, God removes his provision and his support. Isaiah 3 verse 1 says, See now, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, is about to take from Jerusalem and Judea both supply and support. Isn't that interesting? In the New Testament, we read in Matthew 13 how Jesus comes to Nazareth. And it says, Coming to his hometown, Jesus began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get his wisdom and these miraculous power, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, Only in their own towns and in their own homes are prophets without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And those of you who are students of the word will know that in Nazareth, uh, we always talk about a lack of faith being the reason why Jesus' um, power wasn't released and there weren't very many miracles happening in that place. But when you read those verses, you realize that the reason why there wasn't faith there is because they didn't honor Jesus. They didn't recognize him for who he was and they didn't place him in that position of honor. And it was family, it was friends, it was neighbors who did this to Jesus. We're family, we're friends, we're neighbors in this church. And if we would give honor to each other, it will impact on the amount of the presence and the power of God that flows in our services. It opens the heavens because honor is one of the currencies of the kingdom of God. So who does the Bible say that we should honor? Well, Unlike the world system 
and culture where we honor those who earn it, God's, in God's kingdom and culture, we are to honor everyone. Let me give you some verses on that. Romans 12, verse 9. <clears throat> Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Peter 2.17. Honor everyone. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Who should you honor? Everyone. So the culture of the kingdom of God is to honor everyone because everyone is someone that God created. Everyone is someone that Jesus Christ died for. In God's kingdom, everyone has honor, not because of what we do to earn it, but because of who we are in God's eyes. And as you've been hearing from Stephen over the last couple of months, who we are in God's eyes should be the way, or should be who we are in our eyes. In other words, we should be viewing, we should be looking, we should be seeing through God's eyes in situations and circumstances. Derek Prince, for over 50 years, tried to help people with problems, and he concluded that our basic problem is that we don't realize how valuable we are. You see, if we don't realize how valuable we are, if we don't honor ourselves in a sense, then we won't honor other people. If we don't recognize who we are in Jesus Christ, we won't recognize who other people are in Jesus Christ. To honor ourselves and others, we have to realize how valuable everyone is. And how, how valuable do you think you are to God? How valuable is the person next to you? How valuable are your neighbors? How valuable is the man in the street? What's your worth? Some of you following the American elections will be trying to figure out how much Trump is worth. Yeah, a few billion is what the papers say. But in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, this is what Jesus says about your worth. He says, what good is it for you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? Uh, Jesus is saying is, if a man gives his soul and gets all the, the wealth in the world, every private jet, every gold mine, all the money in the world, if he gets all of that in exchange for his soul, he's made a bad deal. The gross world product people say is approximately 74 trillion. How many noughts is that? Anyone know? Nine or 12? 12? 74 <coughs> with 12 noughts after it. That's the gross world product. But Jesus says if, his, if man gives himself in exchange for 74 trillion, he's made a bad deal. So what is the value of an individual? 
Well, the answer is given in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Your, your value equals Jesus. And that, that's, a, that's a shock to some of you who count yourselves as nothing. In Matthew 13.45, uh, Jesus talking, he says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So this is a parable. This is describing the kingdom. There's only two elements in this parable. There's the merchant and there's the pearl. So who's the merchant? Someone said, we are. Anyone else? <laughs> Come on, you Bible scholars. Who's done a degree in theology here? Where's Steve McAteer? I should put him on the... F Steve. Who's, who's, the, who's, the, who's the merchant? The merchant is God the Father. Why? Because when you're interpreting the parables, God is never a thing. He's never a thing in the parables. So as you read those through, if there's a thing there, it's not God. All right? In this situation, God is the merchant. So look at that. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like God looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, who's that great valued pearl? Us, each and every one of us. The pearl that he purchased is just one human soul, yours or mine. It cost him everything that he owned. And maybe you've never seen yourself as important or of great value. Maybe you've got a poor self-image. Maybe you look back on your life and it's been a life of pain and disappointment. Maybe you had a... a unhappy childhood, or a marriage that didn't work, or a career that never happened. Maybe you wasted your years in sin. Your past and future both convey the same message, failure of no real worth. That's exactly what the enemy wants to try and tell you. The enemy, who the Bible describes as coming to kill, steal, and destroy, wants you to feel that you have no value that you are worthless, that you are dishonorable. But it's not true. Despite all your history, Jesus valued and honored you so much that he gave up everything to get you back to himself. We are the pearl of great price. I think when I think about people who epitomize the giving of honor, I think of Mother Teresa. And any of you, like myself, who have been to Calcutta, will know the conditions that this lady was working under. But she said, spread love everywhere you go. Let no one ever come to you without leaving happier. She saw those she ministered to in the streets as Jesus in his most distressing disguise. People asked her why she loved 
honoring the poor so much. And she would grasp their hands and she would wiggle a finger at a time. And she would say, you did it for me. Or you did it to me. You did it to me. Of course, she was alluding to Matthew 25, where Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. A stranger and you welcomed it. Whatever you did for one of those, the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And that was her mantra. Every person that she saw, no matter what condition they were in, she saw Jesus. And she ministered to them as if they were Jesus. That is giving of honor. That was giving of honor. So Bruce, jump up here for a minute. Come on. This is Bruce. You haven't got your helmet on today. It's there. Don't worry. <laughs> so, so how much is this, Bruce? It's a nice piece of paper. And it's got the number 20 on it. It's a $20 bill. So, Bruce, take hold of that. Now scrunch it up. Squeeze it. Yep, that's right. As much as you can. How much is that worth now? The same amount. Same amount. All right. Jump on it. Rub it. You must. Spit on it. Come on, you can do that too. All right. You know, twenty dollars. You're not as good as a hundred dollars. You never were going to be. How much is it worth, though? How much is it worth, people? $20, still the same, doesn't matter what you do to it. Doesn't matter whether you scrunch it up, whether you jump on it, whether you spit on it, whether you try and rip it up, it's still the same. Merry Christmas. <laughs> maybe you've been yelled at, maybe you've been abused, maybe you've been bullied, maybe you've walked over. Does that make you any less valuable? No. No, a thousand times, no. no. We may be worse for wear, but still made in the image of God, of infinite value. That can never change. Who we are can never change by what people do to us or what we do to ourselves. We can live beneath God's plans and God's purpose for our lives, but it doesn't change our value. We are still valuable to God. We are still that pearl of great price. Even if it's covered with dirt, even if it's damaged, you don't throw it away. Why? Because it's still worth $20 or a pearl of great price. You know, I, on, I pondered as I was just preparing this. If we are to honor everyone, why are specific groups also mentioned for honor in the Bible? Why doesn't it just say honor everyone? Honor everyone. And I think it's because those groups highlight areas that we have conflict in. 
in our everyday lives. The Bible specifically mentions a number of groups. It mentions parents. It mentions wives. It mentions those in authority, rulers. So very quickly, I just thought we'd just have a look at those. In God's Ten Commandments, before he says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, before he says, don't steal, he says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. The very first commandment that God gives to the children of Israel with a promise attached to it was to show and establish honor in the family. So the question for me is, what if my dad's a jerk? What if your dad is an abuser? What if your dad is a horrible person? Do we still have to reestablish an abusive relationship? No, the Bible's not asking that at all. What if your parents hate you because of your faith? How can you honor people like that? What do you do in those situations? When the rubber meets the road, what if you don't like your parents? Well, firstly, the way that you respond to your folks should be to look for the glory that God has deposited in your mum and dad. No matter how they've outworked it, your mum and dad are still people that Jesus Christ died for and people that God created. Look for their God-given potential, their intrinsic value. Pray into that. Drag that to the surface and your focus and your dealing with them. Don't let their sin or their shortcomings mold the way that you are going to behave. Just because someone else behaves badly doesn't mean that you should behave badly. Just because someone else behaves less than honorably doesn't mean that you should behave less than honorably. Honor your parents by being the child who will break the cycle of ungodliness and honor them by forgiving them. There are two ways that inheritance will come into your life. Because inheritance comes through connection. Okay, So inheritance is going to come through the currency of honor or it's going to come through unforgiveness. What connects us is what we inherit. So honor is the way to connect to the glory that God intended to deposit in your parents. So grab it, pull it into your generation. And don't inherit the results of unforgiveness, which will destroy you. You find that uh, a number of kids whose father was an alcoholic, because they focus so much on that, because they focus so much on that, because they focus so much on that, they become alcoholics themselves. But God never created that person to be, to be an alcoholic. They created that person to know him and to have a life worth living and we can honor our parents by the attitudes that we have and for the way and by the way that we pray for them second group 
that's mentioned is woman. Marriage should be honored. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage should be honored by all. 1 Peter 3, 7, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she's a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Let me read that last bit again. Show her honor so your prayers will not be hindered. Wow. That last verse was culturally a revelation to the Jews. Where in the Jewish society, women were subservient. They were just above the slaves. And Jesus is saying, guys... If you want your prayers to be answered, you better honor your wives. And just as it's true in the Jewish society, it's true in our society as well. Men, if you don't honor your wife, you're going to create a barrier to, between yourself and God. Very plain. We honor by the way we think. We honor by the way we speak. We honor by the way we act. Pornography, guys, cuts right across all those things. If you are involved in pornography, you are dishonoring your wife and you're dishonoring women, and no wonder your prayers won't be answered. Conversely, where there is honor in the home, there is an open heaven in the home. And lastly, honor those in authority. America's got a problem right now. Because half the country didn't vote for the president-elect, Donald Trump. But the Bible tells us that they should honor him, despite their differences. It's really easy to honor someone who's lovely. If your wife, like mine, is really, really lovely, it's really easy to honor her. But what about the boss at work who just gets your goat? What about the, the mayor that you didn't vote for who got into, got into office? What about the people in authority who have done things that you totally disagree with. Bible says, honor them. Honor them. Pray into their lives. Bring out the God elements that God has placed in them. That's why we're to pray for our prime ministers. That's why we're to pray for our members of parliament. That's why America needs to pray for Donald Trump. And just on that one, I... I um, I mean, of course, I don't agree with all the bits and pieces that Donald Trump said. Man, talk about a brain freeze. <laughs> but it's interesting that, um, that amongst his advisors now, he has appointed Ben Carson. Some of you will know um, of Ben Carson's background. Fantastic Seventh-day Adventist man of God uh, in one of his close advisors. So who knows? Maybe... Maybe America is going to get something that they didn't deserve or get something which the people have been praying for. So pray, 
pray, pray into that nation that there would be a revival of God as a result of the elections going there. So musicians, if you'd like to come, please. <coughs> 1 Peter 2.17 says, honour the emperor. So how do we honour one another? How can we do it? Remember, honour is going to be reflected in what, the way we think. It's going to be reflected in the way we say. And what we say, it's going to be reflected in the things we do. And let me just say, we're talking about building a culture of honour developing a culture of honor because every one of us need to grow in this area. If, uh, if I was to have an altar call this morning about uh, and call for people who needed to show more honor to others in our lives, I would say everybody would be a candidate for that because we all need to do that. We all need to do it. But how can we start? We're talking about a journey that we're progressing. And in a year's time, I hope that we as a church family have grown in this whole area of showing honour to one another. How do we start? And I'm thinking for myself here. I thought, how, how can I grow in showing more honour? Well, you start by having your mind renewed as you get a revelation of kingdom priorities and kingdom values. You need to know the truth for the truth to set you free. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationship with one another. Have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. That's a big call. That's a huge one. To change the way we think, to change the way we view people, to get it aligned to the way that Jesus thinks and the way that Jesus view, views people. But unless we recognize the truth of God's word, it won't become a reality in our lives. And so we need to know the truth. We need to ponder on those scriptures. And then you'll find that as the Holy Spirit breathes on those things, it will become from head knowledge to heart knowledge by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray for more kingdom values and priorities to flow through your life. We want to reflect Jesus. We want to see our thinking and our speech and our actions aligned with kingdom culture. And then just remember that progression, blessing and honor, glory and power. If you want to honor someone, bless them. Bless them. It's very simple. Just bless them. Look for opportunities to bless people. And you will find that as you do that, you will be honoring them. And it's amazing how when you bless someone, how it can break chains of bondage and actually set people free when they realize that they are loved. They are cared for. They matter. Amen.